What's up, y'all? It's Hakeem McFarlane, and we got Alyssa Berman here today. Coming live from the Choose Your Soul podcast. Now, Choose Your Soul, we're not just talking about the mind and body. We're talking about choosing yourself, choosing optimism, choosing understanding, and choosing your legacy. Come on now. We're so excited to be here as our pilot episode. Make sure you subscribe and like the video so you will stay in the know for our upcoming episodes to be recorded weekly or bi-weekly. Just stay tuned. That's it. It's all about reflection to get that growth, y'all. You got to be honest with yourself, remain accountable, and reach out to people who have been through similar experiences so y'all can grow together. And that's what we're here for, to share our experiences and methods so we can get this growth together. <laughs> yeah, all about community and doing things and learning from each other. We have a bunch of different topics for you guys. We're just going to run through what we're going to be talking about in the future and sharing our personal experiences. We're going to have so many people who are going to share their experiences for you to learn with us as we grow together as a collective. Don't be shy, y'all. Don't be shy. We are in this together. We're going to be vulnerable. Okay. There's some things we're going to talk about on here that, I mean, I know I'm going to say some things that I ain't never said before to no one. So we're going to have to be dang near soulmates after this, y'all. <laughs> Make sure you tell us in the comments if you resonate, if you've had your personal experiences. Let's just build our community and get this growth together, as Hakeem said. So, okay. Shall we get into the topics? Hey, let's get it, man. Quick overview of season one. Okay. Number one, child, childhood upbringing. So I know both of us have had pretty, you know, I think collectively, most people, especially as millennials, we've all experienced interesting things with our parents, boomer city, <laughs> don't know what they're doing and just <laughs> how we were parented and we're all kind of going through this collective child inner healing inner child healing process so that's one of our number one topics because it all plays out into who we are today as adults what we went through as children is coming through as adults so for me I experience a lot of exposure to substance abuse seeing my parents fighting all the time um, always partying just so that was kind of the norm I grew up thinking that was a very normal thing just drinking every single day I remember getting to college and meeting people that didn't have that experience and I was like oh you don't live like this this isn't just a normal <laughs> thing and being smacked in the face like this isn't normal actually um, so and that that played into a bunch of different experiences as well but what did you go through what did, what's a little surface level that you went through and I until I was then I was the only child. Then I had a brother for six years. Then I was back to being the only child. And my other siblings, separate moms, lived in another state. So that whole dynamic of what sickness and medicine can do to a family's bond, uh, something that has impacted me and my perception of authority and my perception of medicine and the societal norm and all these things that they try to trick us into thinking is normal when essentially it's the most harmful shit to keep someone sick alive for money. So that kind of pushed me into a direction where I had to be strong, show I was strong and suppress my emotions until I started drinking like my parents and all that shit came out and woo, 
then we went that way all the way all the way down there like down there and so now it's the reflection and uh accountability really that helped me grow from that and i'm dealing with it every day you got to deal with your inner child every day and the moment you stop growing is the moment you slip back into it yeah i went through that too where i i adopted my parents alcoholism so through college into my adult life i mean shit up until recently i have been blacking out and i got a dry <laughs> i got you know i just recently decided to not drink hard alcohol anymore because i don't like i, I don't like not remembering and so Seeing my parents like that, though, I was just like, oh, it's okay. It's, you know, it, it happens. Like, it's just a normal thing. But then you think like, no, it doesn't have to be normal. You don't have to carry out these, these patterns. And having the awareness around the patterns, patterns is key, too. Um, and also speaking of relationships and seeing how my mom and my dad were together, always fighting, that kind of set the groundwork for how my relationships played out later, even though my mom did remarry. And my stepdad's a really great guy, treats my dad, treats my mom great. Um, but because of my, my mom, my real dad and my mom and how they were interacting when I was younger in those formative years from, you know, zero to age 11 or whatever, that was imprinted in my subconscious. So I found myself kind of going through trying to heal men or make them change into what I wanted them to be. Cause that's kind of what my mom was doing with my dad. He just kind of stayed in this pattern of abuse and, addiction and so I found myself dating people that were similar to that um but then I came to realize I don't have to heal anybody it's not my job to heal somebody else or make somebody else change and so now going forward you know I'm not if I notice a red flag like that I'm like no like you got some healing to do brother let's get it together <laughs> and you can come talk to me later <laughs> so that's another big thing is just the dynamic between parents and how you want to be raised, um, and how you want to raise your children. So that's another big thing that we'll be talking about. Talking about, for sure, the family dynamic, but the importance of both parents and how to how to be a single parent, because AF is a phenomenal single parent herself. I mean, at least in the household, as much as I know. And also the relationships between your family members, because I know it's tough to cut your family members off when you're growing is tough to really, you know, put that love aside. One thing that I just kind of realized when you said that you thought it was normal to be drinking. So you just were drinking. I stayed away from everything until I was 18 because I was scared to look like my parents, which backfired because I, when I was 19, I was getting lit. Like I was 15 throwing up, blacking out in college. Everybody's like, have you drank before? I'm like, it's my second weekend, man. What's up? I'm out by myself. And then after that, that's when I really indulged in all that. But I was completely sober through, you know, the loss and all the trauma in high school and all the mix up in the family and stuff. And I think I was scared of it. But then once I got to it, I got to it, to it for sure. So I guess that's two ways you can do it. You either yeah. get to it early or late. Yeah. For I sure. think I started drinking. Speaking of this, this is another topic we talk about, you guys. This is not in order, but just substance abuse in general. So I started drinking when I was 13. I think I smoked weed for the first time when I was 12. Um, and that was going on for 20 years uh, until now. And I don't smoke weed anymore because I don't like how it makes me feel. Um, but the alcoholism was like runs deep. And that's a really hard one to overcome because what do they say? Alcoholism is the only thing that's really like you get really addicted to it. And it's the only thing where you have withdrawals. I never got to that point, but um, it's just, and it's so normal in society. Everywhere, you know, everywhere you go, it's like, what are you going to drink? I know you, you work with alcohol, so it's like hard for you, but um, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting. Well, <laughs> I 
I'm like putting it everywhere. Like, hey, everybody, drink away. Hey, go ahead, celebrate your hard work. But you know, I look at alcohol differently now. I look at it as a recession proof. You know, business development is gonna be here forever. And um, also, I was reading some recently. Um, Stealing fire, actually. They were talking about when animals get stuck in a rut and they are continuously doing the same thing, they'll go and eat shrooms or they'll eat like they'll lick the poison off a toad to kind of alter their mind so that when they come back, they have a different mindset because they've stepped outside of their comfort zone. And he was saying that's what a lot of humans do, except they do it extensively. So I guess that's going to be my new slogan. <laughs> Peer spirits with peer spirits grow your mind by intoxication <laughs> interesting that's so interesting yeah i thought you might like that i was gonna send it to you i said it. it's like chapter six um pharmacology actually it's called there's like nine species that get high and then just freaking wander off and then when they wake up it's like a new appreciation for life and that's what they've been doing it like before humans even knew what mushrooms were crazy yeah. to think about they're into the the you know the ground the ground grown stuff though it's not you know the hardcore. Yeah. I love mushrooms. That's one thing I do do regularly now, not to trip balls or anything, but microdosing. It's really great for inner child healing. So we can get into that. Uh, and actually, witnessing substance abuse is our second topic. So it's kind of leading right into it. Right into um, it. I know my, I know when I was younger, I didn't know this until much later, but I know my mom and dad used to do cocaine together. I did not realize this until I was like in my thirties. And so my dad was married before my mom, um, had three kids. So I have siblings. They're all like at least 12 years older than me though. So growing up, I was an only child because it was a weird dy dynamic with my dad was still married when he got with my mom. And it was just very interesting. He kind of tried to keep us separate. So I didn't really have a great relationship with my siblings until later after my dad passed away. Um, which we'll get into that too, but so that being said, I found out from my sister that my dad was like a huge cokehead. <laughs> I'm like, I had no idea. And my Dang. mom has told me at one point too that uh, she has tried meth before. I'm like, what are you Ooh. doing in the 80s? Oh, meth. Wow. Dang, hope she got a teeth. <laughs> she said she tried it once and was like, no, thank you. I'm like, okay, at least you're that smart. I'm like, I don't, I don't find what's appealing. Uh, I did Adderall, up, that's about it. <laughs> oh, I was on Adderall through college the yeah. entire time to get stuff done. Same. Um, ooh, but a lot of my childhood friends, my the town I grew up in in small town, Wisconsin, very meth rich. Like everybody does meth there. A lot of people I know. I mean, the prom queen, she was like the star of the basketball team on meth in high school. Like, <laughs> yeah, crazy. And a White lot of people. my childhood. Yeah, exactly. I grew up <laughs> in a trailer park too. So a lot of my good friends from when I grew up in the in the trailer park, at least half of them are now still in my hometown of a thousand people doing meth to this day. Surprised they're not dead yet, but they don't look great. That's for sure. Um, so <laughs> witnessing all of that too, I actually remember when I was 15 getting in a car with my friend and he, she knew some guy, he drove us to this trailer in the middle of nowhere in the, in the country. And I'll never forget Kill Bill is like drilled in my mind because of this memory. We walk into this trailer, Kill Bill is on the TV. Some guy's smoking a light bulb of meth when I'm 15. So I'm like, <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck is going on? Um, so that was before that the was, internet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. 
was before the internet. <laughs> just interesting. So I got exposed to a lot of that kind of stuff. I actually did mushrooms to trip when I was 14 for the first time. I think I tried cocaine for the first time when I was 15. I never did meth though. Um, and then I didn't start getting into that stuff. I used to actually do cocaine pretty heavily in my mid twenties. Um, but then I got over that really quick too. And a lot of other things went down. So, okay. That's a little bit of my story. What, what kind of <laughs> substance abuse did you witness? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> let me see from what I know now that I've asked my parents, they always told me, Hey, we got addiction in our family. We got addiction in our family. And that kind of scared me from doing anything. Cause anytime I did something, whether it was, talking smack, getting in trouble, doing a prank, playing sports. I always had to do it extra. And if I loved it, I did it as much as I wanted to. And this is before any substance abuse. But I do remember my mom told me that they should just get high. My mom would get lit, do coke, and my dad would just get high and just read the Bible. I'm like, what? <laughs> Y'all getting high reading the Bible? Because <laughs> my dad's like super Christian now, super, like super religious. I, I think it's Christian. Yeah, it's Christian. But super religious. He runs a sober community. He's been sober 14 years. You know, good job. That's how he stays sober, taking care of other people. Uh, one of the most renowned sober houses in the Twin Cities. But they used to get high and just talk about the re religion and history and Jesus. And my mom said that was her favorite thing to do. And I guess I was like six years old. My mom just told me like her life story before me, before I was born recently. Well, golly, wasn't expecting that. But um, she was like, I was doing eight ball a day. And then you were four years old. And I told you to stop eating your cereal at seven in the morning to go to the liquor store. And when I got home, I didn't do another line. I was like, thank you. Shit. I don't remember that. But thank you for not killing us in the car. Golly. But You probably blocked so, it out. <laughs> I probably did eat my cereal. Like, huh? My mom just got some coke on her nose. <laughs> Come on, honey. Let's go start. I'm like, what you doing, mom? What's wrong? It is seven in the morning. What is going on? <laughs> So she stopped doing that, but she still drank, drank my whole life. And then when my brother died, she got off them, on them pills, benzos and lorazepam and trazodone and sleeping and all that. So that mixture kind of put her into zombie mode. And then that's when I, I was like, I don't think I ever want to do drugs. And I never really spoke with my dad a lot about drugs. But when I was growing up, my sister and my brother are different moms. They were going through their own issues, too. They both dropped out fucking around getting high and all that when I was like zero to 12. So they weren't bringing themselves around me and my dad was getting high too. So they weren't coming around me. And then by the time I turned 18, they got their lives figured out and I started fucking mine up. <laughs> so then we took another five years before we even got on the same wavelength and actually reconnected. But it's interesting to talk to them and see how similar we were the whole time, you know, and that's why family is important because to have somebody that you can talk to while you're going through it, is something that I think would have helped me and probably you too, you know, having those people that have been through it to tell you like, yo, do this, don't do this. Guidance. Well, guidance and experience and wisdom. But watching that, you know, my mom passing out, walking in, she'd be asleep with a cigarette. I'm like, we have carpet, mom. We have carpet, okay? Did you not? Do you not? We're in an apartment. There's other families in here, okay? But um, that's what I witnessed, man. And I got into it. I got into a deep, but shit, I had seven surgeries, so I was off them pain pills, and but I never got addicted to those. Never got addicted to those. I did. I might incriminate myself because I was on probation, so I was fucking around in the streets. <laughs> I was fucking around, partying, did. I ain't do meth or heroin, but 
She, I was a partier at the boom, 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 Molly X, all night. Yeah, dang, until my head came off. Woke up in the morning, like, ah, my body, my body, babe, because I always had a girlfriend because I was freaking traumatized. Babe, rub my body, get me ready to next party. Damn shame. It was cyclical, but it's better now. Now I ain't got no girl because. I ain't bringing y'all into this. I'm too strict right now. Let me get some freedom first, you know, <laughs> for oh. sure. <clears throat> yeah, the Molly, the, the freaking raves. <laughs> uh, yeah, though, all the drugs, cocaine, Molly. Molly's so fun, but no. <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. Shrooms is fun, too. Shrooms is fun. I, I fuck with it. If you're with the right people, you know, mm -hmm. nature, good music, it's good. But don't do it in Times Square. Being around that many people would give me so much anxiety. Oh, <laughs> I was high as hell. I was in Times Square, like, everybody's looking at me and they're all ugly as hell. What's going on? I was like, I got to look down. The lights are cool. You just can only look up at the lights. That's it. Don't look at people. And then online, uh, online, it says, do not go to Times Square on shrooms. Online. It everywhere. does? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I've done acid at music festivals, which... I just know that I can't be around groups of people if I'm on psychedelics because it lose my fucking mind. Yeah, me and me and my boy Louie, man. <laughs> yeah, we done got into some things. <laughs> At Cut all this out, please. Cut all this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, okay. be <laughs> Starting back into it, death in a family. So you kind of mentioned your brother a couple times. Um, just briefly, I mean, we're going to have a whole episode on it, but briefly expand on that well when you're born your intestines are not they're knotted when you're in the womb so you don't drown and that's why they spank you all your organs reshift and you're like oh oxygen i don't fuck breathe in the womb anymore i have to breathe there and his like got all knotted up so they cut the knot out he had short gut syndrome he had like one more inch than he could to digest food or even to live so for the first year, he couldn't eat in the hospital. Then he got leukemia. So for five years, went through chemo, radiation, chemo again, bone marrow transplant, all this. Seven, eight different doctors flew in. He was the first one ever with both at the same time, short gut syndrome and leukemia. So African doctor, Indian doctor, Asian doctor. I'm sitting here 12 years old like, why do doctors keep changing? What is going on here? What? So somebody come, try to fix it. Didn't work. They left. Everybody wanted a retirement plan. They want to be the first one to figure out how can we fix both of these? We can't give him steroids for the leukemia. It's going to mess up his gut. We can't give him TPN for the gut because it's going to mess up his uh, radiation. How can we compensate? So it's a little project. And I'm just sitting here after I go school, practice, hospital, school, practice, hospital for like two years straight. And I'm watching all these doctors change, new name on the board, new medicine, new nurses. I'm like, what's going on? Somebody save this kid and let him go. So the whole time I'm seeing this transition, this transpire in front of me. I'm like, I hate this place. I hate the hospital and everything attached to it. And when he was 16, I mean, when I was 16, he was six, 2006. He, uh, my mom like called me. I'm in bed. I had a game at like 2 p.m. My mom calls me at nine. Like, Matthew's gonna die today. I was like, shit. She's like, your uncle Doug's on the way. Like, picked me up. I went there. We all sat in a circle, held hands. My queen mother came. She's like healer like said a prayer did some oils and stuff and all this r.i.p both of them and then my mom was like you want to have the last word so everybody left and i just said some things to my brother 
pulled the plug, got on the bus, went and played the game. And I buried it under sports ever since. Buried it since that day. I didn't even, I cried, but I did not do it in front of nobody because my mom was broken. Everybody was like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. What do you mean? I'm a man. What do you mean? I'm a man. Until I started drinking. Whoo. Boy, that shit came out like a bat out of hell. God dang. But y'all need to talk about your grieving. That's what y'all need to do. You need to talk to somebody if you're grieving or you have an uneasy feeling about anything. You need to talk to somebody because everything going in here, that shit's all made up. <laughs> you got to really put it out there and see what parts of it you need to pay attention to. And after that, I'm like, for a while, I'm like, oh, people are like, oh, I lost my mom. I'm like, that ain't shit. I lost my grandma. So I was like, no empathy for people after that. I was just so cold hearted because I was like, well, I lost a six year old brother. Like, how much worse can it get until somebody told me they lost twins? And I said, God damn, it was eight. I said, oh, shit. Guess I'm better off. So everybody, somebody always got it worse, y'all. So put some gratitude in your attitude. What happened to you, AF? Yeah. So as I was saying, substance abuse witnessing, my parents were alcoholics. My dad was actually in and out of jail my whole life, too. Um, from since I can remember up until I was 18. He finally got sober when I was going to college. Uh, and then after that, like he's sober, stopped drinking. We started building a better relationship. And then he got cancer. He got colon cancer because of all the drinking and eating like shit. And men, I don't know what it is with men. He was like pissing blood for like six months and didn't get it checked out. And so then he finally went in and stage four cancer. And so then he started going through the chemo and all this stuff. Um, and then he actually, I'll save this for the episode, but he then passed away when I was 23. I'll save it for the full episode because it's just like, it's really deep. <laughs> like, don't want to think about it. Um, <clears throat> but when I was 23, five years after he became sober, he ended up passing away. Um, and so I was the same thing as you suppressing emotions. I didn't really, you know, I had people reaching out to me and I was like you, I would just cry by myself, but I just stayed strong in front of everybody because I had a little bit of anger for him being gone a lot in jail, in and out of jail. And so I was angry that he made those choices because it was his choice to drink and drive and go to jail off and on, you know? And so it was like a mixture of rage and sadness and loss and like, oh, I could have called him more because when I was 18, when he got sober, I was in college and I was focusing on school. And so I would like tell him I was too busy because I don't know what it was with me, but it was like reciprocal, like, oh, you were too busy for me. You did this and this, and you went, you went to jail in my whole life, and now I'm too busy for you. So I was doing that to him a lot during that time when he was sober, but also had cancer, which I was such a bitch thinking back doing that. Um, but then he died, and I was like, shit, I should have hung out with him more or, you know, maybe had more forgiveness in my heart. And so from that experience, I learned to forgive people and not hold on to things and not have grudges and talk to people that you love, even if you have some differences that you need to go through. And even I could have even had the conversation with him that that's how I felt, but I never really did. And it never got to. So probably would have had a lot more closure with that rage that I had if I would have had the conversation. So definitely talk to people you love, even if you have arguments with people or you're mad about something, at least let them know. And then, it, and then at least they have the capability to have the conversation with you to help you understand where they're coming from or whatever to give you some closure because now I would say though now even though he's not here physically I do tap in with him during meditation and try to connect with his spirit because this is what I believe like your soul never really dies it just transfers energy mm -hmm. doesn't die it just transfers so I try to tap in with him 
when I'm in meditation and I'm building that relationship with him now again, even though it sounds weird, it's a thing that you can do. It's not weird. Okay? It's not weird. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm inspired. I'm trying to do that. I need you to teach me. Yeah. So that's definitely something you can do and you can get close to them again and feel their energy, get downloads, messages. Um, and even I've had different healers who can channel souls from the other side. Um, I've had healers speak to me through, through my dad spoke through them to me. And there's been a couple different times where I've literally been bawling because what they said, like they would have no way of knowing. And so that was, that's kind of stuff is really good too, really healing. So we'll definitely talk about that. And I've always, I've always been, I've always been interested in that because I'm always skeptical if that's real or not, but I never had it done, but I've had people I trust <laughs> like you say that it's freaking real. And so like, I want to see, cause I got some secrets about, you know, everything that only the people that are past would know. And I'd be interested to see if, you know, like you were saying, if they brought them up. We'll get into it. We'll get into we it gotta, in the episode. We'll give you guys yep. some resources. <laughs> I guess we got to have a guest come and be a medium on the show. Yeah. Yeah. That might be some shit for sure. And I was going to say, you know, just when I was trying to, tell myself that losing a son, I mean, a brother or child, when I was trying to tell myself losing a child is the worst thing possible, that's just in my life, okay? Somebody could lose their parent, their grandparent, their dog, their car, and it could feel the same way. So don't judge anybody because you don't know what their attachment was, what the value was. If they lost something and they're hurt, just think of it as an equivalent to you being just as hurt and just really empathize and make sure you're not trying to downplay their pain. You know, I did that for a long time and everybody thought I was a dickhead. Okay. And that's not cool. And now I'm digging myself out the dickhead hole. Wait, what? The dick hole? Wait, the what? Oh shit. Well, they edit that. <laughs> digging myself out the dick hole. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, be nice y'all. Everybody's worse is worse to them. Okay. Yeah. True that, true that. So, and just overall an emotional suppression, I think a lot of people deal with that or you, a lot of people suppress their emotions. So, I mean, the only way to really get rid of those emotions that you're holding in is to express them and talk about mm -hmm. them and let them out, feel them fully and express them to somebody, talk to somebody. Otherwise you're just going to keep holding it in and it's going to come out in bursts of anger or rage or whatever. And you don't need to hold on to that pain. You can let it go. So Get into talking about it. Express yourself. It's going to be. Open perfect. your mouth. Open your heart. Open your mouth now. Uh, okay. So that I feel like those topics one through five are all kind of like related. Oh, we didn't talk about diversity in America. We should talk about that. Oh, yeah. So obviously we have two different uh, experiences. So I'm just like a little white girl grew up in a town of a thousand people in Northern Wisconsin, like very white. Okay. Um, but I will say my, my best friends growing up were my one friend was adopted from Peru my other friend was native and we had one black family in the town I grew up in. And so I just got to see them experience racism in our tiny little town. And so I kind of became aware of it, even though I still had work to do later in life, because I would say little things I, that I didn't realize were kind of racist, even though I wasn't like <laughs> putting hate on anyone. I would just say little words like that. I think people in small towns don't even realize they're saying things that are offensive. And so having conversations with people of color, knowing that what I was thinking or how I was speaking these things, I just got the awareness that I need to change how I think things, how I say things. And so then I'm able to now teach other white people that what they're saying is 
not okay. And actually speaking up as a white person, because white people in America are never going to listen to people of color. You have to be the white person, be the ally, be the one to speak up when you hear about this stuff, because they're never going to get it otherwise. So of course you've had a way different experience. So let us in. What, what's yeah, happened? for sure. <laughs> and also she ain't lying, y'all. We was out getting food chopping it up about this choose your soul and some dude was talking shit about gaza and the war and all of a sudden this like strong energy just came i'm just sitting here like are you okay she's like uh excuse me look back at the dude talking (laughs) shit i was like oh thank you because my whole thing during that george floyd thing was if that was a bunch of white people marching shit would have changed and so i feel the same way if white people can stick up for equality regardless of what it is black white palestinian whatever it is that is what's going to change because that's the same race of people who are suppressing and making the law from years ago that we're still freaking living by. So I appreciate you for that AF. That's what I'm talking about. That was that was funny, though. When I saw that, I was like, yep, there she is. We're going to oh be friends God. for life. Thank you for that. God dang it. <laughs> I, could, I wanted to pop off a little bit more, but I was like, just I, he, the guy, I don't know if you saw me, but I made eye contact and I get like these eyes of rage. And he's like, oh, like, yeah, just <laughs> No, the girl with him was like, shh, shh, to the guy. <laughs> like, shh, just shut up. You're talking too loud. You're freaking wrong. Yeah, but at least she yeah, at least she saw it, you know. Man. And that's the thing. She probably wouldn't have said anything if you didn't say anything. She would have just let him keep talking. So mm-hmm. don't let your friends keep talking. Speak speak what you're proud of and what you think is right. That part. Um, no, I grew up, I grew up in Richfield until sixth grade. Went to Bloomington, seventh, eighth, went back to Richfield, ninth, went back to Bloomington, tenth. Um, we we're just moving because we we're trying to figure out what we we're gonna do with my brother and stuff. And Richfield was kind of like hood. It's like South Minneapolis, Richfield. Like if you get kicked out of Richfield, you go right down Nicollet. I mean, if you get kicked out of Minneapolis, you go right down Nicollet on the five, and you get off on Richfield. If you get kicked out of both of those, you keep going, and you go to Kennedy. That was my other school. So we had a mixture of inner city kids. We also had a large Mexican culture and kind of a fairly big Somalian culture and Laos people too. We got the most Laos, Morelos, and Somalian people in the country in Minneapolis. If you didn't know that, you do now. So we had, we were segregated though in our school. The tables at lunch, they sat together. People in class, they sat together. And I didn't think nothing of it because I was like, of course I'm not going to sit over there. I don't know what the fuck they're saying. Why would I sit over there? I can't understand what they're saying. So I'm going to sit over here with these athletes or go over here with my brothers and at that time, I didn't fit in either because I was with the white people and they're like, oh, black guy. I go to the black people. They're like, hey, light skin. You probably get sunburned. If I slap you, turn red. I'm like, man, where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? And good thing I was good thing I was good at sports because they all respected me because I was the best in the school. And sports saved my life on a lot of occasions, you know, athletics. And that's why I'm so passionate about fitness now. But growing up and seeing the separation in segregation, it was normal for me. And my family is hood. My 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 father's side, they lived in Minneapolis. And my mom's side's from Wisconsin. So I kind of was a mixture of that already, you know, from what how I was raised. If I reach out to a family on one side or the other, I'd have two different perspectives and two different ways of communication. And so I really didn't know how to act at all. I, mean, I can't be that. I can't be that. So I just started acting out. I just started pulling pranks, talking shit, 
talking shit to the teachers, dressing funny once a month, freaking wearing boxers over long johns, freaking cutting my hair, dyeing my hair, all kinds of shit. Because I didn't know what the hell I was. I was like, I'm going to just be what nobody else is because that's what y'all calling me. So I might as well own it. And that kind of that kind of helped me remain true now. That was practicing for, you know, choosing myself now because I would do that to ruffle feathers because everybody else is trying to fit in somewhere. Oh, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over here. I'm like, I'm, I don't know. Nobody's doing this. I'm going to do it. Hey, motherfuckers. Anybody want to join me? Everybody's like, that guy is cool as hell. He don't give a damn. I'm like, yep, choose yourself. That's what I'm doing. So, you know, in retrospect, I've been choosing myself for a while. Except emotions got the best of me until recently. That's it. Suburbs. Suburbs, kind of. Bloomington for 20 years. Well, South Suburbs for 20 years. And then Minneapolis for 10 um, when I was in college. And then after that. So Did you ever cool, deal man. with like microaggressions from people you didn't know just randomly? You know, like white, random white people just making comments and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. All the time. I had my mom. I think my mom snapped on a white person in public a good six or seven times in my life. I remember one time at McDonald's, this dude just ran his card into the back of me and my mom flipped out. One time I was a, I went to freaking play basketball and the coach kicked me off and let the white boy stay. My mom freaking came up freaking snapping. I remember some dude said, at least my son's not black or something like that. My mom, something was arguing and I've heard these things. I'm like, am I black? Why are they calling me black? Because at school, they don't call me black. What the hell is going on? My mom don't call me anything. She called me honey, sweetie, peanut. Now, I don't know what she's like. She called me perfect. So I don't know. I think I'm perfectly black and white. That's what I think. So all y'all can kiss my ass. <laughs> my mama loved me. But yeah, I did. I've run, I've run into that, man. And eventually I, I really got freaking some consequences of that shit coming down the road, coming down later on in the episode. We're going to give you details now. We're going to give you details. But I really felt the wrath of racism. When I was on my 19th birthday, actually. That's a good one. Did you? We'll get into it in the episode. Did you? Oh, well, yeah. you said you stuck up for people. Yeah. I mean, and I noticed it, too, because after college and I moved to Minneapolis, um, my whole friend group is mostly Black people. And so we would just be out. And I would, and I'm like the one white girl. And so then I would notice these people, like, or even getting coffee with um, boyfriends I've dated and just white people staring or just I don't know you can feel them judging and I like of course just being me I like snap at them like if someone's staring I was like what are you looking at <laughs> like, just asking them straight up like what's the problem do you have a problem like or I remember one time with my boyfriend at the time we were driving uh he was in the passenger seat of my car and we got pulled over for pretty much no reason and I could kind of tell we got pulled over and he was like are you okay asking me I'm like well yeah I'm okay what do you mean like you're just pulling me over because you think I'm in trouble because I'm with the black man. Like what the yep. fuck? <laughs> Crazy. Oh my gosh. Crazy. Crazy shit. So Crazy. That's gonna be I, a spicy episode. I got away with something before because I was with a white girl. I was driving with a white girl smoking a blunt. My my damn car window didn't even roll down on the on the damn cop side. We were smoking the blunt. Okay. The cherries. Boop. I said, oh, roll window. Bam. Hot boxing on the freeway. I said, hey, babe. Roll the window down. Light the black and mouth. Yeah, I smoked black and mouth. Light the black and mouth. Cop came over to the window, knocked on the... I'm like, other side, other side. He like looks in there. Like, I got the roach down by my leg and shit. Walks around. I put it out in the ashtray. Comes to the other side. That door didn't open. So she had to open the door. Dude, I'm telling you, this cloud of smoke, it was black and mild weed. 
that came out in this cop's face. The cop was like, what y'all smoking? My ex was like, a black and mild? I'm like, yeah, you heard her. He's like, all right, let me see your driver's registration. I said, what? That You can smell the weed. I, I just put the roach out when you went from one side to the other. What's going on? Because she said black and mild. I don't know if that was why, but I'm pretty sure if I was alone, I'd have been fucked. Oh, that's insane. That's so funny. Yeah. The cops are just whatever. Shout out, we'll get into shout out, get shout out to my white exes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. It's already been an hour. We got like half the shit to go through. It's fine. Well, it took us um, like 20 minutes to start, I feel like. Oh. Right? Mm. No? Where's the recording oh, yeah, time? Probably. You're right. You're yeah. right. We'll just All see. Right, it's, cool. it's totally fine. I'm just laughing because we just like get to talking. Chatty Cathy's. Okay. Chatty Kimi. After all that, the formulation and molding of our childhood into our teen years, into our early 20s, and then we get to the career exploration, right? So me, I went to college for apparel design. I was a knitwear designer for six years. Super cool, tight ass. You know, like I tell people and they're like, oh, that's a cool job. I'm like, yeah, it was tight. It was fine. But also it wasn't super fulfilling. And the apparel industry is Next to oil, next to the oil industry, it's the number two most polluting industry in the world. So I'm a nature girl, okay? I grew up like in the woods, exploring the woods by myself, playing with animals. Like I love <laughs> bugs, like ladybugs, spiders. They're like my homies. And so thinking about all the pollution that's caused, I kind of the whole time was like, this is kind of giving me the ick because I was a designer for big box and specialty retailers. So like Target, Kohl's, JCPenney, Walmart, like all these huge corporations. And just thinking, I went to China at one point for work, which was tight that I got to go on that side of the world. Um, but seeing the factories, it just kind of didn't sit well with me. They don't treat people well. It's just like, I don't like being a part of this. And so then I was like, what else can I do? And a lot of stuff happened between then, like me having a kid, looking for other sources of income because I couldn't afford my living. But I just eventually got to the point where I left that. And now I work online. Um and I'm here talking to you, great people. And so we'll get deeper into the, how that all unfolded. But I just realized that the whole, you know, work for 40 years for 40 hours a week until you die just was not my jam. And I wanted to be, do something more fulfilling. And so I just kind of followed what was interesting to me. And now I get to help people, help people with their mindsets, lead people into, you know, leaving jobs they hate or whatever. Um, and it's turning into something beautiful, especially with the spiritual community. I have, you know, my Instagram channel, Source Junkie, it's grown so much in such a short amount of time. And I get to connect with people that actually think like I do. And it's just moral of the story, following your dreams, leaving something that's not fulfilling. Even if it's scary, you should do it because you never know what's going to unfold after that to lead you to where you need to be. So, mm -hmm. yeah. How about you? That's, that's the key. That's the key, following your dreams. And I don't know. And they don't teach you to do that. No, not at all. <laughs> and, and like, that's, you know, you say it all the time that we all come from our childhood trauma. And that's part of it is that they don't allow you to be creative. They don't allow you to follow your dreams. You got to go to class. You got to do this assignment. You got to be here on time. You got to wear this. You got to not wear this. And so that restricts our creativity. The moment we get creative, we're like, eh, nope, they said I can't. Oh, I think I want. Nope, I got to do this. And so, again, sports freaking saved me because nobody could tell me shit sports was my passion and everybody loved when i did it and they wanted me there so i didn't really struggle with oh is this what i want to do hell yeah i'm going to the nfl but what i did struggle with was my backup plan i didn't have one and that backfired big time once i figured out my dream wasn't gonna happen and i hadn't done the personal work on 
what about my dream I liked. It was the discipline, the contribution to a team. It was using my values and helping other people show them, yo, I'm a leader. I can help you. You know, I'm here for you. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's go on a mission step by step, day by day, play by play to the end, just like life. And that's what I loved about sports. But I didn't think of it like that. I thought it was the touchdowns until I went to trials and then I went to freaking jail, freaking A. But but when I was going through, I knew that I was a leader. I knew I was vocal and I knew I was athletic, you know, and I knew I was clever. I knew I was clever with my mind just from, you know, being a class clown, really, and being that funny guy on the team. Um, so I knew what my gifts were. I just saw so that, you know, bartending was like where I win. So as the experience elevator, started throwing parties, party buses, events, hosting people's birthdays and doing all this because I knew like that was what I wanted to do, bring people together, have fun, celebrate, and then get back to work. Well, I didn't get back to work back then because work was the party, but now it's celebrate and get back to work, man. I don't know. Eventually, man, I was freaking in a basement somewhere. It was had a beehive in it with road crickets. You know what that sounds like? Have you ever slept in a basement with a beehive and crickets? It sounds like Jumanji. It it was bad. It's like I'm in there. It's like zzz, I put I put freaking cloth in my ears to sleep because How I didn't were you want, in there. I was broke and poor and homeless. So my boy just let me. My boy let me stay there for like five hundred dollars, and I was late every month. God, horrible. And eventually, my uncle called. He's like, "Hey, I need someone to help me out with this uh, with this company and do sales in Minnesota." And I was like, "Oh fuck, sales! I get to go talk and convince people." Oh shit! So it took me about two months to switch my schedule from, you know, going to sleep at two p.m. or I mean two a.m. and then working at three to going to sleep at eight, waking up at five. It took me like two years to get that schedule down, but took about two months for me to realize like, yo, sales is my shit. Sales is my shit. And then I took that kind of development of my personality and my character and I applied it to being able to sell myself. And now that's what I'm trying to show people is how you can sell yourself, identify your unique qualities, develop your character, choose yourself and contribute. And that took a whole bunch of years for me, but I believe anybody can do it if you just just got to hold on through that first part of the transition. Just hold on for the first part. It feels weird. You ain't never been there. You ain't never even thought about following your dreams. But once you start getting responses and results, I tell you, that's more fulfilling than that damn check. I'm telling you that, you know. Sales is fire. A lot of what I do is sales too. You just, cause you're, I promote a lot of stuff on social media, which is selling something. But again, just like you said, I'm selling myself, who I am, my experience with whatever I'm using and how it's making my life better. And so a lot of it, sales is the only profession that you have, there's no capped income and you don't have to work for anybody. And so mm. what I, you know, being on social media, doing digital marketing or even building a social media following, like you're selling yourself every day. So just becoming comfortable with yourself and learning the psychology of people. So sales is really just psychology and listening to others and figuring out mm. what people's problems are so you can solve them and giving them the solution. So it's 
And then you get paid to exist because you got what people want. You can just have it on autopilot selling itself while you're helping people at the same time doing whatever the fuck you want. That's going to be a good one because I think people don't understand. It's mind blowing to me how many people don't realize they'll get on the internet to complain about their jobs. And I'm like, you know, people on this same internet are making millions of dollars. The one you're complaining on, like, <laughs> we'll get into it. So you guys can find some options because a lot of it is you don't believe it's possible. I'm like, you probably shop online every single day. Why are you skeptical of making sales online when you're shopping on it already yourself? <laughs> yeah, I got to monetize my shit. I got to stop playing around. You're on the way. You're on the way. <laughs> I got to stop funny. playing around, God dang it, every day. But, I, you know, what I do on my on my page is more for me, mm -hmm. accountability and setting the tone for the day, you know, on how I want. There's times where I'm like, I don't want to do no fucking content. I don't want to do mm -hmm. go to the you gym. You got my ass yesterday. I <laughs> You were, you posted like, you set your alarm. You wanted to get up. And I was like, it, I didn't want to get up. I was like, I'm in bed comfy. And then I saw your post. I'm like, fuck off. And I got, got up. Got up. I so dealt, I, no, for sure. I dealt with that that day. Mm -hmm. And when I, and when I, I heard David Goggins one time, that book changed him. my life. I love him. But he said, he's like, if you heard the excuses that you tell yourself you would think you're a bitch but you don't hear them because you justify them because they come from you so one time he recorded in his phone his excuses and he played them back to himself Ooh, and he's like you sound like a straight bitch and he never he never hit snooze again after that and, and and then i've done that before and that helped me too that helped me i've done that before and and then my snoozes got less and less but now i'm up before my alarm anyways because my mind's fucking if i get five hours and it's 2 a.m and my alarm's for three i'm up and that's when most energy is available, right, AF? Oh, yeah. It's I'm best. saying, you know about that. I'd be up right then, shoot, ready to go. And you guys, if you're listening to this, and you're like, I'm just not a morning person. But okay, neither did I used to be. Neither did Hakeem. Like, mm -hmm. I used to sleep until 10. I don't know what I was. But the thing is, you just got to go to bed earlier. When you train your body, a couple minutes a day, you're going to yep. get there if you want to. Yeah. But truly, the morning time is the best time to do anything. So, and a lot of people aren't tapped in. So you get to feel that, that calmness and the energy field. It's just... Chef's kids Man, the best. It's crazy. I love it. I love it. And I and I would do it even when I was in Minnesota and I would drive down the freeways that would be busy. And on my way back from the gym, I'd be seeing traffic come the other way. And I'm like, yeah. I'm already done. I'm already ready. I'm already, I got another hour to sit in my house and prepare. I'm not waking up trying to figure shit out. And and the amount of ideas you get in the gym in the morning, the amount of creativity it's it's that clear, is boosted, clear it's so clear. It's so clear and you're tired, your but downloads. you're getting downloads. Your mind's open. You're grateful. You're, you're showing yourself. You love yourself. You got the endorphins, serotonin, dopamine, all that shit's flowing. And now your brain is literally reaching optimum performance because you're get feeding it what it needs. You also have to eat good, drink good and sleep. But exercise is the part that allows those things to release good food, vacation, music, sex, exercise. Those things will release those things. But the other four, well, music's, I guess you can do that as much as you want. But I know good food, you can't be eating that all the time. Sex, you can't do that all the time. Porn and shit. Music, you can do that all the time, but I guess you don't have a job. You can't work out all the time, but you can do it every day. You know, you can tap into a dopamine release every day with exercise that has no negative benefits at all that I've seen. Yeah, same. I'm on, I feel so good. Yeah, you on a roll. I know. You want to run? <laughs> Since September, I think I should. I haven't been taking progress pics because it hasn't really been about like body for me. 
more so I just heard someone say like if you work out and you get your body right it's like gonna affect your finances and your success I'm like okay that's that's what got me to get into it I'm like all right all right, all right here we go but I am seeing the changes and it's I should take some progress picks and it just feels good like your mental clarity um like today I got up at five did my little shit my woo woo journaling meditation whatever and then I worked out at six showered by seven got my kid to school mm-hmm. had the whole morning to get my shit done it feels great I'm loving it that's gonna be my it, new schedule it does help your finances I mean mm-hmm. you know everybody's different but for the simple fact that you're able to control your excuses it builds your confidence you're able to work your amygdala which help you make helps you make decisions and overcome excuses because think about it. Every every time you're tired and you keep going, you shut that thing up and you strengthen the muscle to be able to go back and forth. Every time. If you never go through a stress test, controlled stress or a controlled struggle, then every time you get in your daily stress, it's just going to fuck you up because you ain't practiced for it. So that's that's why it will help your finances for decision making. Stop spending so much money. You get to stay disciplined to your intention like you did this morning when you got up when it says news. And your physique says a lot more than your bio could ever say. You can type whatever you want in your bio. You can filter your picture. But if I see you in person and you're ripped and jacked, I can tell you love yourself, delayed gratification, discipline, self-commitment, prioritization, education of anatomy, which means you probably are tapped into the development of the mind if you understand the body, because clearly I fucking do. Yeah, you look good. Yeah, so it's a great great choice to make, guys. Okay. Um... I'm not gonna read so where were we now? Okay. Speaking of, you were talking about how you were gonna go to the NFL, but that dream was crushed because you had a life-altering injury, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do mine really quick too. Mine wasn't really life-altering, but I broke my leg at the trampoline park in 2020. And so I was bedridden. Uh, I broke my tibia right at my kneecap. So it was like the doctors all said it was one of the longest recovery processes. Couldn't go outside for like three months. It was during fall season and I was so pissed I couldn't go outside. I remember just like looking out the window crying because I couldn't go outside and see the leaves um and so that uh that I just did like physical therapy and stuff to get my my range of motion back and whatnot but I would say that whole experience really made me grateful for even being able to walk and like go outside because I didn't think I really appreciated it as much until I couldn't do it and so now to this day like anytime I go for a walk I'm like oh Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be outside and take a walk because I think like small things like that, if you can find gratitude and things like that, just makes a huge difference. And I think it gets overlooked, but um, it wasn't like a huge, like yours is huge. So you tell us a little, what happened to you? Fucked up, man. (laughs) My whole family got bad knees. Okay. We got flat arches. If you know anything about flat arches, yeah, it fucks up your whole body. Your arches go in, your ankles go in, your shins go in, your knees go in, your hips get tight. And then now your your femurs go down into your meniscus like this. And then your shins come out like this into your ankles when it's supposed to be straight. So it puts pressure on those tendons in your knees. So I had like, what was I went to NDSU, then I went to Winona. I've never been hurt in my life. Then I had five knee surgeries in one year. So I had to drop out for a year. Went back to school, played four years, tore my labrum, and disaligned my hip somehow. It's the back tendon in your shoulder. Oh. Um, so I tore that tackling somebody. And then went, graduated college, went and played pro arena football, broke my ankle. 
tore all the tendons, snapped my leg, two screws. And that was the end of my career. And this is where not having a backup plan fucked me. Because all I knew was party with people. Because I was a promoter. So all I knew was, all right, I'm about to go party. About to go throw some parties. I'm going to go bartend, party promote, make some money on some parties. And drink on pain pills? What you doing? So I so I snapped both screws. So I still got screws in my ankle, the bottom part, because they had to drill a hole to get it out. So that's never ending, which I compensated on the other foot. So then I got turf toe on one, screws on the other. So that's why I'm so adamant about fitness. But that's also why I'm so educated, because I had to recover myself six different surgeries. And I had to go to physical therapy every time and listen to these people. Then I had to do it on my own, research on my own. And if you're unfit it's going to be so much harder for you to recover. So if a freak accident is going to happen, you better be fit to prepare for that rehab because that rehab ain't no joke, especially when your muscles deteriorate. You knew you broke your leg. It's hard to even do the little lift your leg up, flex your toes. You can't even do that. So the weaker you are, the harder that's going to be to get strong. You know, if you start strong and you get injured, then you got muscle memory and your body's like, okay, let's get back. Okay, let's get stronger. But if you've never been strong, and you get deteriorated, then it's going to be, it's all new past the norm because your normal was weak. So I'm just saying, stay fit if you want to recover from anything, mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, be fit because you're going to need yourself. It affects all of it. So, Mm -hmm. okay, that's going to be a good episode. So you can like, I don't know, I'm excited for that one. So next we have, oh. And, and. I got two secrets I'm going to disclose that I ain't never told nobody before. Okay. And one of them will be in that episode. <laughs> you guys better <laughs> tune in, tap in, tap subscribe. So tap you don't miss me it. In. Come on now, get you some of this. Um, okay. Emotional intelligence. We got so the last couple emotional intelligence, personal addictions, finding purpose, entrepreneurship relationships. We've all kind of we talked about all these kind of already, but Emotional intelligence, I would say, for me, just becoming aware of, uh, I just innately kind of, I used to do this, I would just blurt things out before thinking about it. <laughs> and I, I used to be super offensive sometimes, but because I, I was just like, Oh, this is just who I am. Like, but a lot of it was just self awareness and understanding that it's not really what you say, it's how you say it. So being able to think before I speak, and having that intelligence of, you know, you can reword things, even if it's your initial thought. You, a lot of my initial thoughts are not very nice to this day, especially when I'm, I don't know, I can be a little, I just want people to be better. So I immediately want to like, it's just my, my inner voice is just kind of mean, even to myself, but in a good way. So I try to say things to inspire people, but then it just comes off and people don't take things the way I want them to. Anyway, so the emotional intelligence <laughs> to understand, you need to, you need to think before you speak and understand how, what the other person on the other end, how they're going to receive it. Make sure you're saying it in a way that they'll understand and won't get offended by. Um, and also like we were talking about earlier, just emotional suppress suppression and being aware of that and how to healthily, Oh, express it in a healthy way. Um, all that stuff, just all this emotional intelligence that you gain through life by becoming aware of yourself and learning how to change things for the better. Um, it's really helped me along the way. So what, what do you have to say about that topic? I think you can't repair your roof in the rain. Are you going to bust your shit and you're going to really be emotional about it? What do I mean by that? <laughs> what do you mean by that, Keem? Well, what I mean 
is on the good days, you got to prepare for a flood of emotions that'll come from the stimulus that you can't control. You have to set the foundation. You have to have a place that you can identify, reflect, and reapply what you learn from your past. I never had that until I got serious about my mornings. I never, ever reflected. I just like, oh, I fucked that up. Don't think about it again. Don't ever think about that again. It never happened. I don't care. what, Whatever you say, whatever. Just don't even, don't, who cares? It's who I am. Oh, Knock that dude out. I did what? Damn, I was blacked out. Shit, I dunked him out. I knew my knuckles were sore. Shit. <laughs> but, but we're not thinking about that ever again. Whatever happened, happened. And it just kept happening because I never reflected and I didn't have anything worth that I thought was worth building that foundation because my life was partying. So it wasn't about my emotions. It was about suppressing them, drinking and doing drugs and having fun and numbing everything with people that also want to numb. And so I think when you start to develop your purpose and your character and find at least a, a route an idea of the direction you want to go, then that can be your measurement tool to understand if you're going off, on or off. And the trick is to keep working towards that every day so that that motivation that you develop, it stays strong when somebody pitches you off or somebody says you lost your job or your bank account gets fucking robbed or your mama dies. Because all our parents are dying. Is your foundation set? Is your foundation set? Everybody's parents going to die. I'm going to be crushed. I'm mama's boy all day. I'm going to be crushed, but I'm preparing for it by making sure that my foundation is set and I have a place of control so I can understand my emotions instead of let them take over. So what emotional intelligence I feel like is being able to have your intention be stronger than your emotions. That's how I feel. But I'm working on it every day. We'll get into a little bit of nervous system regulation. I have a really good person. How to regulate yourself is so important when you are going through stressful situations and having the techniques like breath work or somatic practices or whatever to bring your anxiety and your stress levels down, even when things are chaotic. And as they continue to be chaotic, there are things you can do to keep yourself regulated so you're not off the freaking walls, like freaking out. You need to, you can, you can be calm for the others around you. Um, I'm going to grab my charger for my light one second. All right. It's going to be a good one, y'all. I'm telling you, we're trying to show y'all, okay? Don't matter where you're from. You could be a white girl or a mixed boy or a black boy or Indian boy or Indian not boy or or both boys, both genders. Don't matter what y'all, man. Everybody got something worse, okay? That's why we bringing on people to try to help you help yourself. Neglecting your ability to be resourceful is your own damn fault. What's up, AF? Welcome back. Through that, whatever you just said. <laughs> uh, okay. <clears throat> Finding purpose in entrepreneurship, kind of one in the same. I would say, okay, I mean, really quick on this one, these two kind of together. Um, I started entrepreneurship before I even knew what my purpose was necessarily. All I knew was that I didn't want to like live the life I was living or give my son because my I started when I, my son was around one years old working online. Um, I just knew I didn't want him to have the childhood that I did where we couldn't really do anything. Like we never took trips as families. We never, um, 
I was never in any extracurriculars because my parents couldn't afford it. And I just knew I did not want that for my son. So I started looking for other ways to make more money. And through that, as I started to read books about entrepreneurship, which led me to spirituality, which led me to different connections and people that I met through the internet and like going to different events. And I found my purpose as I went, which is now just expanding collective consciousness to, you know, believe in yourself, have vision, have a path that you can follow that you can love and actually do and create something that you're proud of. And it just kind of all unfolded together. Um, and on that, I would say finding purpose. So many people want to know what their purpose is before they start something, but I would say, just follow your gut. If something feels good, if something makes you excited and you don't really know how to do it exactly, just go towards it. You're going to find out how to do it along the way. And you'll start to learn things that you're passionate about as you go. Do some research. Yeah. Look up, research. look up different industries. And different hobbies of people and see which one moves you, which one, which one do you go down the rabbit hole in? Try that one first. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, we kind of already talked a lot about like finding purpose, which that will be, these are all going to be such good episodes. I'm so excited. They're going to be good. I better come on, choose your soul and tap in. The personal addictions we kind of talked about at the beginning, which, you know, alcoholism, hard drugs, pills, whatever. Um, that's going to be a good one too. So relationships, which I kind of also touched on how I would date people that were kind of mirroring how my parents were. Um, and now I just, I love being alone. So <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. But, uh, you know, until someone's like, oh, you make me happier when I'm not alone. Even though, whatever, we'll get into it. Um, <laughs> I'm still going to need alone time regardless, but, you know, someone that I actually want to be with. No, that's that's what I'm saying. That's why I like working out alone. Even if I have someone visiting, even if it's a guy or a girl, I don't know. I'm leaving. I'll be back in two hours. You're not coming with. You got to do something else because I need to go collect my thoughts, choose myself, talk to myself, and love myself without you in my way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I hate when people are in my way. Oh my Man. Um, but we'll probably on that episode just talk about different experiences we've had, like people that have treated me certain ways. Or like I said, I was always trying to fix people and just situations that I would allow that now I would in no way in hell tolerate. And just like what you tolerate, you're going to keep experiencing until you learn the lesson. Like you had just said a little bit ago, like things keep happening for you to learn from. And if you don't learn from them, they're going to keep happening. So you have to become mm -hmm. that self-awareness, be aware of what you are trying to learn in different experiences so you can change it moving forward. Choose yourself, man. Don't choose the choose past. Yourself. You could choose. You don't want to choose habits. You don't, well, good habits. You don't want to choose bad habits. You don't want to choose emotions. You want to choose your intention. Exactly. And that is all of our episodes for season one that we're going to cover. All those Ooh. topics. It's going to be a wild ride. I'm so excited because yeah, we both have a lot to share. We're going to have special guests. And I'm excited to hear from other people and just help everyone in this collective little bubble that we have going on the bubble is going to expand to the whole world and we're going to help everybody and learn with each other and grow together in this in this new season so i'm so excited yeah no it took it took a lot of dedication to myself a lot of material i'm sure af did the same thing it took a lot of research these are years hours of research practice application planning that we're now trying to provide as proof of us being here right now and contributing but we had to build our confidence up enough to even think that we could help people and now we're at that point so 
If you're looking to build your confidence, if you're looking to grow your mind, you're looking to find your soul, you're trying to tap into your potential, well, come on, get that growth with us because we're going to be here every week. <laughs> so excited. Make sure you subscribe, follow us, make, and follow our social medias. I mean, we will be posting content on those too so you can stay in the loop. And we're just, can't wait to go on this journey with all of you. Love you so much. It's going to be great, y'all. One love. I appreciate you. Choose your soul one time. <laughs>